Canuck Central Monday. What's up? It's Dan Rico, Satyar Shaw, live from Rogers Arena as uh, we await the massive puck drop between the Vancouver Canucks and the Dallas Stars. Canuck Central is presented by your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today as uh, we are on the scene, Sat, for uh, what is yet another massive must-win, do-or-die affair for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, You keep winning, and it gets more and more interesting. With Vegas uh, losing over the weekend, with the Canucks having a game in hand, they win that one. You're one point back. You have two games in hand on L.A. You face them later in the season. I mean, it's still very unlikely. The odds are are still very much stacked against the Canucks, who are without Bo Horvat, who who we will get into coming up here in a few minutes. But you know, that pathway, which seemed so small and narrow not too long ago, is still small, but it's not quite as narrow as it was before. And you can easily talk yourself into the possibility of being there. Uh, the bottom line is Canucks got to keep winning hockey games as uh, they are the bottom of the teams that uh, are playoff hopeful right now in the Western Conference. It's incredible that they've gotten themselves to this point again we've written them off on so many different occasions but what's interesting about this end of the season sat and Bo Horvat is uh, obviously done for at least the rest of the regular season and he'll be reevaluated in a couple of weeks on that point just quickly I'd be surprised even if the Canucks made the playoffs, that he would be available at the start of round one. Like, that would be a pretty amazing recovery if that's the case. And we'll see ultimately what happens. Yeah. But as it stands, I would be surprised, even if the Canucks make the playoffs, that he would, he would be ready to go for game one. That would say you know quite a bit about his recovery if he is. Yeah, it's, it's going to take some time for Bo uh, to, to get back on the ice. And it's funny, like, so much of this season, this team was not hurt. Yeah. Like, the, the general narrative around the Canucks is, woe is me, how is everybody hurt again? <laughs> and, and now it's more, well, when you need it most, that's when the biggest injury bug seems to hit this club. But it's just another bit of adversity that they're going to have to come through. And now they have been able to win, right? Five in a row yep. heading into the Stars game. And they've done so with some injuries. With Pearson missing a couple of games, Besser being out. Now Besser comes back against the Stars, replaces a Horvat. And you get Matthew Highmore speed into your bottom six as well. So you get something else back. And it doesn't put you ahead, but maybe kind of helps you stay even with where you've been, especially during this streak. But it, what it also kind of does too is, and this is why as much as they have been better under Boudreaux, it just shows you why you can't, number one, get off to such a bad start. And also, when you don't make hay when you're healthy, like the yeah. Canucks were the first quarter of the season, like even, even under Travis, there's barely any games missed. Besser early in the season wasn't 100%. Yeah. You know, a guy here or there maybe missed a game or something, but nothing significant at all the first yeah. 26, 25 games of the it's season. Like, you know, lower end of the lineup type of guys, you know, Hamannick and, and some others. Yeah, something like that. But all their key guys were healthy and they struggled. And when you, when you have a losing record when you're healthy, that just really also sinks you during the season because inevitably you are going to have injuries. And uh, that's what's uh, happened for the Canucks now. And it really sucks for Bo. I mean, this is the best run of his career, the stretch that he'd been on. As we talk about, mostly like the only other player that scored more over the last three weeks, month or so, for Bo, than Bo Horvat is Austin Matthews. Mm-hmm. You know, he has been on 
basically the run of his career, and yet now it's it's over. Um, how do we look back now at Bo Horvat's season? Well, it, it is you have to give him a lot of credit for the streak he's gone on. And yeah, listen, anytime you score as many goals as he's scored, you are going to have some favorable percent shooting percentages in your favor. But he's also come up big when this team's really needed it down the stretch here to keep them in the race and or at least get them back into being in that race. So critically late in the season, you have to give a lot of credit to his goal scoring. And what it does show is that he is capable of hitting 30 goals. We knew that he had that capability based on his 2019-2020 season when he had 27 in 69 games. You knew that he is capable of getting the 30 goals. The fact that he got there, I think, is something that is important, and I think it does just help when it comes to his progress. But if you go over his overall season, and if you go over his overall defensive play, He's not a different player than the one he was, say, a year ago or two years ago. I mean, last year, yeah, a lot of guys struggled. That one you can kind of write off for a lot of guys. The year before, his his high watermark is pretty similar to this year. He scores slightly more goals, but has a few less, fewer assists this season. But overall, he actually had a slightly better points per game pace in 2019-2020 than the one he has this season. Yeah, 53 in uh, 69 games uh, back in that pandemic-shortened season. The year before that, Horvat, 27 goals. That was his previous career high. And uh, 61 points, which is his career high and will remain his career high. But, you know, sometimes these conversations are unfair to the player because it sounds like... um, you're putting them down, so to speak. Yeah. But like, how much of it is just a bit of a shooting percentage binge over the last little while? You know, Horvat, sixteen percent for the season now. That's you know a couple of percentage points over the the course of time. You know that that is the four or five goals that is the difference between you know a twenty seven goal season and a and a thirty goal season. Well, and, and also he had twenty seven and sixty nine games, and this year has thirty one and, and seventy games, yeah. and he's not going to finish the season, obviously. So. If you look at it over an 82-game season, during with this scoring pace and then the shooting pace he was on, he may have finished with like 33, maybe 34, and let's say 35 with the hot streak he was on towards the end of the season. That may have been a career high. Yeah. But because of his shooting percentage. But that doesn't mean he still couldn't be a 30-goal guy because if you go back to his history too, what it shows is he can hit that not that number. The question I have more than anything is when you start, you know, going through Bull Horvat's season and what he could do and how important he is to this team is what are you paying for the season ultimately yeah. beyond this? Because 30 goals, you start looking at comparable contracts and you go through, you don't find a lot of guys that are indifferent. So I think when you look at his contract, especially hitting 30 goals, that could be an interesting conversation. One of the best part of the early part of his season was how well he played defensively, right, Dan? Because mm-hmm. we talked about how when it came to the matchup role, he was actually winning his matchups this year. The offense wasn't there, but he was winning those matchups. Now, he's winning his matchups when it comes to outscoring and out. And, and and outscoring the matchups mm-hmm. right now, and you see it with his plus minus, the best he's had in his career. He hasn't been below water, and that's a testament to how much better he was defensively earlier this season. Some of those differentials, though, went the other way during his hot streak. So it goes back to the conversation of, can he next year get to a point where he's scoring at this pace and also has the same matchup differentials as he had earlier in the season? I, I think he showed that he can be a lot better defensively this year, and I think that's a feather in his cap, and I think that makes you feel a lot better about where things are going if he does sign an extension and stays here long term. The next evolution, though, is can he do both those things at the same time? 
the one thing about Horvat, and, and when we talk about his defensive game, one number kind of stuck out to me from from his profile, and that's the shot metrics. In normally, he's been around, uh, you know, per sixty on a per sixty rate, sixty shots against, and that unblocked shot attempts. So. That's a pretty high number. That's gone down to 54 this year. Yep. So that's a pretty steep like difference, right? Like he's made some real progress there and actually the progress has been now that they are out shooting their opponents with Bo Horvat out the uh, on the ice whereas it used to be more of an even number, sometimes slightly below water. So there's some real advancement there from from Bo Horvat and you've seen it in his game I think that's why he's translated more on the penalty kill his defensive awareness just seems to be a little bit more there right now than it was maybe a year or certainly two years ago I think that you know maybe it hasn't all come together at once but there's certainly been moments this year that you can point at and instances on the ice that you can say Bo has made some strides in that area of the game. He absolutely has this season. And that's the best argument for him staying long-term here is that he has shown the capability of playing multiple different roles for you for the first time, actually in a good way, right? Like, if you looked at the minutes he was playing and the the tough matchup numbers he played earlier on in his career, he was losing those to a big degree. He wasn't losing those this year. And as the season has gone on here towards the end of the season, they've actually taken advantage of his hot streak. You've seen Boudreaux play him with more offensive zone starts. His defensive zone starts, especially in the second half of the season, have gone down. And his defensive zone starts in general this year aren't quite as high as they were the year before. And you can see Boudreaux really leaning on him later in the season. So in two phases, he's shown that he can play that matchup role if needed, especially when they were healthy down the middle. And Pedersen wasn't playing well defensively, and they really needed somebody to play that role. Him and Pearson, especially as a duo, plus whoever else was on with them, really did well in that role earlier this season. And as the season went on, and injuries kind of happened, and Bo had to take on an offensive role, he's also had success in doing that. And that, to me, is the best development of his season. It's something he hadn't shown the capability of doing before. Actually being able to not only be even with matchups at times, but winning those matchups. Uh, the Dunbar Lumber text line, for those listening live, 650-650, Dunbar Lumber. The smart alternative is at Dunbar Lumber at Bridge Street in Ladner and Arbutus in Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, I knew this was coming when I uh, prefaced... <laughs> Uh, the comment about yeah. shooting percentage, but uh, Rager says, here we go. Couldn't go five minutes without slamming Bo. And Christopher comes in. You just can't help slamming Bo. Any team would kill for a yeah. player that scores like Bo and takes every damn important face off. That is uh, coming in on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Look, I'd love to sit here and tell you Bo Horvat is a perfect player. There are no perfect players in the National <laughs> Hockey League. Yeah. Every player has some flaws, and I want this to be an open conversation where we can talk about certain flaws in a player's game, but also recognize where they are making improvements and earth to everybody listening. That's exactly what Sat and I are trying to do here. You can disagree, but come with something that is a legitimate part of the conversation, not just like, oh, look at you slamming Bo. No, it's just very real facts about areas of his game that have needed improvement. He's shown some improvement there, but also just looking at the percentages, looking at numbers, 
yes, a little bit of his 31 goal season here is based on a, a, a binge of shooting percentage lately. But that doesn't mean like he hasn't taken some level of, or he doesn't deserve credit for where his game has gone this year. It's just having a natural conversation about the player and the, the season he had. Well, let's not forget. Uh, so how many goals does he have during this late, latest stretch? It's Ah, oh, man, it was what, 17 goals or so since uh, February 23rd? So 17 in, in his last 20-some some yeah. games, right? And that gets him to, what, 31 goals. That means he was about four, at about 14 goals before that t- earlier 20. Yeah. So he was about at, at about 14 goals before this latest stretch. So he was underachieving. He was. He wasn't playing. He wasn't he's producing offensively. And I've said this all year. He's done better in a matchup role, but he wasn't producing offense. So give him credit for being better defensively, but the offense hasn't been there. They need him to score. Now, if you look at his season as it's gone on, he hasn't been as good defensively, but he's been scoring. Yeah. I mean, it's just outlining what he's done. And I'm giving him credit for being better. And I criticized his offensive game. I also criticized a lot of the details in his game at critical times. And as a captain and as a leader of a team, when you have as many bad starts as you have, that's on your record too. That's a different conversation about, okay, overall assessing leadership, overall assessing your impact on the roster, those sort of things. Obviously an area that has to improve. The organization has talked about it, and that begins with your leadership. So when we talk about leadership and this team's lack of preparation, those critiques remain, and that's something they have to be better at next season, and they have been better at, especially down the stretch here. But still, that criticism back then was as valid then as it is now bringing it up uh, based on what happened earlier this year. Now, you give Bo his credit for being a lot better. I'm giving him his credit for scoring a ton of goals, but he hasn't been able to be as good defensively while scoring more. Yeah. That's just a fact. I mean, that's not being critical. That's just telling you the truth about his season. So where this goes to, to me, is how much do you pay him? What type of salary does he demand? Because I look at comparable players, and the one that is very comparable as far as production, actually bows far better production-wise, but not as good defensively, is a guy like Kevin Hayes. Yeah. And he signed for over $7 million per season. How does Bo view himself, and how much are you comfortable paying him, and how much is he worth? Because centers get paid. Yeah. And if I'm paying a guy, let's say, for instance, over $7 million, I want him to be able to do offense and defense at a high level, both at the same time. $7 million is probably the number for Bo. It, Unless I mean, you get him team-friendly on a longer-term deal. But it exactly. comes down to how much does he want to get paid. Unrestricted free agent center with Bo Horvat's reputation – with his profile, how he has played over the last little while, certainly what he played like in this season, uh, the fact that he is a player everyone believes would be not just a player that helps you in season, but also when you get to the playoffs, that's maybe when you see the best version of that player, and that was evidenced by the bubble a couple of years ago and how well Bo played there. So there's a lot of factors here, and I think it's very realistic to think if Bo gets to market a contract similar to the one that Kevin Hayes has with Philadelphia would be on the table from someone around the league. If he's staying in Vancouver long term, I don't think that's where the number gets to. Sat, And that's why uh, I think we've talked about Ryan Nugent Hopkins is more of a comp. He's a big part of the team, has been a big part of the team for a long time. You know they like it in this town. Uh, is there a middle ground to find where the length of the contract maybe goes longer, 
but you're able to save a little bit on the average annual value. Well, and a guy like Nugent Hopkins hasn't scored as many goals as Horvat, but he has a higher point total in his career before. Yeah. He's, he's crested 60 points in his career in the past. And similar age ranges, of course. And, you know, you can make the case that Nugent Hopkins is a bit better defensively, but obviously not as good a shooter as Bo Horvat is. Yeah, I mean, could that be something he does? around the 5.6, 5.7, 5.8 or whatever over eight years. That's what you have to do. Reality cons- is goals get paid more in this But league, considering right? he's the captain of the team, would he want a con- would he be willing to sign something like that? Yeah. And, and when the fact that he now has 31 goals on his record, what does that do to just the overall argument that his agent is going to make? And to me, that's going to be the most interesting thing because I think people say, yeah, go out and sign Bo, but what number are you comfortable at? Yeah. And if you can get him to a Nugent Hopkins deal, I mean, I, I think that would be a win. And we talked about this before. You'll take that. Yeah, it's a bit long and, and whatever. But, hey, hey, at least you know you have you gotta a— sacrifice somewhere. Yeah, and you know you, at least you have a second-line center who's capable. And, if, and you know, knowing you have that is something you don't just scoff at and, and throw away. But it all comes down to the number. Because if you've got to pay him, say, north of six or close to seven, that's a lot of scratch. Yeah. <laughs> it is a lot of scratch. Uh, th- there's a lot of different things that I start to that my mind starts to go through. You know, uh, what does Besser's next contract look like? Can you justify paying Bo in that same range, or uh, would he would he want more? Does he deserve more? Obviously, uh, with the seasons that they've had, yes, he he would. So there's a lot of different things that factor into this. Of course, the Miller contract, the potential there, what that looks like. There are so many different variables. But Bo Horvat's late season emergence and eventual career high in goals only made his price go up, Zat. And that's, um, you know, well, for the, the salary cap crunch Canucks, that's a big, that's got to be a bit of a concern. Well, and the other thing, too, is just, just overall, it all comes concern down Concern is to, the wrong word. Well, no, it's not. But it, I think it also comes down to how do you want to build your team out? Because Bo's greatest attribute as, as a centerman is goal scoring. Isn't that his, that's his greatest strength is his shot and his goal-scoring ability. So when you build up the rest of this team, you also have to bake in you know, who are going to be the playmakers that you have. And if you're paying a guy, say, you know, six or so you're paying seven or eight million or whatever, and you score 30 goals, well, I want more defense. I also want more playmaking. I think that's, that's the other part of it as well. Yeah. Because the playmaking numbers, I, I want to call those concerning. And especially with the, you know, if you want to make an argument, I, I don't think it's fair to say he doesn't have good line mates. Because I think his line mates usually help him do the thing he does best. And that is be the focal point of a line. and be the guy that scores and finishes off opportunities. And when you're scoring over 30 goals, things are working out well. But he's not a guy that makes that's going to be setting up his teammates to score a lot. And if you look at his numbers, those assists aren't really there in his game. Like, he's not a real playmaker. So how do you build that up? That's the other part of the conversation. Uh, this text coming in on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Who are all these 30 goal scorers who play great defense? Uh, is it Matthews? Well, Matthews would be one of them. He's taken a real step defensively this year. Uh, you would probably look at Sasha Barkov on that list. Sebastian Ajo plays really good through the middle of the ice. Elias Lindholm is having an all-time kind of season right now, and his uh, their line has probably been the best in the league on the whole with Goudreau and Matthew Kachuk. So there's guys out there and uh, make it all different kinds of ranges of money, but um, you know, that's exactly the, the thing here and why it's so hard to pinpoint what 
a next contract looks like for Bo Horvath. Well, because you have to also look at how far that contract goes. We're sitting here and talking about um, JT Miller, how he's going to be 30 on his next contract. I mean, Bo is going to be 28 when he's UFA. So his next contract's taking him to his mid-30s. Yeah. So no matter what, you're talking about tying a guy up into his mid-30s. So what is that player going to be like in three years? And what, you know, what are you paying for that type of player? And that's, to me, as much as we talk about JT Miller being a tough number to figure out, it's going to be fascinating to see where it lands with Bo Horvat in this organization. Because as much as, yes, you can get him a bit cheaper, how does the organization feel about tying eight years up with Bo? Does that, do they want to do that even at like a cheaper number? Would they prefer to go shorter? How do you approach that? Because, again, like you're signing a guy who's played more minutes in the NHL so far than JT Miller has, despite the fact that JT is two years older. Yeah. There's, there's tread on those tires. So there's a lot of risk when you talk about signing a guy into his 30s, and that's also a converse, That's also a consideration with both. Well, Miller's got defensive question marks, too, yep. in his five-on-five profile. Yep. So we're talking about centers that produce a ton. And I wouldn't pay JT $8 million. Yeah, and you know, I'm, as much as JT is good, and I've talked about trying to find a way to keep him. I don't pay him eight million because I don't want a guy making you know eight, eight and a half million when he's thirty five, thirty six with a bad defensive profile and average offensive production potentially. That's uh, that's really the question mark with JT as well. You know, I mean, the the power play production has been through the roof this year. Five on five is uh, not too dissimilar from some of his teammates. Um, this text comes in, if Horvat isn't worth $7 million because you say he can't produce offense and defense at the same time, then is Patterson worth seven point three when he has failed to put together a complete season for two years? If Patterson has yet another slow start next season, I expect to hear his wrist is still sore, his skate supplier sent him the wrong skates, and he's upset that San Jose isn't playing Dolan enough, etc. Pay Bo, demand more from Elias Pettersson. Well, I That's mean, uh, unsigned text. We we had the discussion about Pettersson, and I'm not even sitting here and fawning over his season. I said he hasn't. He's not a better player today, I don't think, than he was in his second season. The only thing different about this in his second season, the run he's been on, is, is, is the fact he's killing penalties. You want to call that a step? I mean, sure, you can make that argument, but I don't think he's an appreciably different player now, and especially when you factor in how last year he definitely didn't take a step. And we'll talk more about that draft class and Patterson coming up a bit later, especially yep. with uh, the Canucks going up against a young star from that draft class that plays for the Dallas Stars mm-hmm. and Jason Robertson coming up. But, you know, we, we were critical of our Patterson season two earlier this year and how yeah. he struggled. You need more from him as well. And next year, he has to take a massive step forward. And again, I mean, Patterson's number is not bad. It's 7.23, but it's not good if you're not producing or if you're not being high end. Like the, now, with, with what he's doing later in the season, he's showing he can be good defensively, and he's showing he can't produce at a high level, and that's positive. Now, do it for a full season next year. Yeah. He has to take that step forward as well. But and, and again, it comes down to age. You know, if Bo was say twenty three, I wouldn't care. Twenty four, I mean, we wouldn't have the same kind of conversation about how much do you pay him, what is he worth. It's just to kind of illuminate, you're talking about paying a guy into his 30s as well. For as much as we're sitting here and having the discussions, people texting about, you know, Bo, uh, about JT Miller, and you've got to be careful with how much you pay him and how many years you want to commit to him, it's a similar consideration, not quite as much with Bo. And that, I believe, the organization is going to be considering very seriously. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. What I'm saying is that he's getting that next contract. And I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that JT is the guy that's staying. Yeah. As uh, Jeff Merrick put it on uh, 
the morning show today. Everybody is on the table, maybe outside of Thatcher Demko, which is a little bit surprising uh, considering Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes uh, have been the guys that uh, we've thought and said that uh, are kind of on that untouchables list with Thatcher Demko. I still do believe that, but it just illustrates how much of a roller coaster this offseason could be for the Vancouver Canucks. And realistically, Sat, we don't know how Patrick Alvine feels about super long-term deals and these sorts of things. So with that, that blank slate, the lack of history to go on with Patrick Alvine, it's really hard to gauge what he thinks about long-term deals for a JT Miller or even a Bo Horvat. Yeah, and I mean, with JT, I can see, I've mentioned this with JT a lot, that if the Canucks keep him, I believe it would have to be team-friendly to some degree. Yeah. And that they're not interested. And in I mean, I'm not telling you something you don't already know. Patrick Albin himself said we well, don't have a superstar. Well, I wouldn't give him the Zabinijad comp that people have speculated. No, I, I, and I don't see the organization doing that. And if they do, I'd be surprised. And yeah. I think that's super risky. But I don't believe that's something they're going to, they're going to be doing. And for Bo, I see somebody mention, would you guys do 6x6 six by, six by Bo? Would Bo do 6x6? Six six? Yeah. You know, and that's what I wonder about. Look at Kevin Hayes' contract. That's the interesting one because he's making over $7 million for how many years? And He got 7x7, seven seven, He right? got 7x7, seven seven, and he was, what, 27 when he signed the contract? 7x7, seven seven, and he's only had, what, 50-some points as a career high? 22, 23 goals or whatever it that's is? That's the comp Bo Horvat's camp would definitely want to use. You know, so it comes down to total money. So 6 by 6 is $36 million. I don't see a world where Bo takes $36 million. For Bo, so the Nugent Hopkins contract is essentially... It's a shade over $40 million. A shade so, over $40 million. Yeah. You've got to pay him at least $40 million. And even that, with, it, it comes down to how Bo views himself. Again, yeah. like Tones mentions, and this comes down to reputation, he, he's a guy that can score 30 goals, takes big face-offs, and is dependable and all these sort of things. And why not pay the guy? That's what Tones says. That's what other people view it. And what if there are people around the league that view Bo that way? What if Bo knows there are people around the league that view him as a guy that, you know, deserves to get paid that type of money, that people would be willing to pay him? Because yeah. seven times seven is over $50 million. Mm-hmm. And fi- you know, close to $50 million. And $50 million and $36 million is quite a big gap. Yeah, it's, uh, it's quite large. You know, I think if you go the full eight-year term with, with, with a player like Bo, maybe it, 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 you lose a bit on the average annual value, but... Uh, still, the total money will be there for Bo Horvat, and again, that Kevin Hayes contract is one that uh, a lot of centermen around the league would probably like to use as a comp, especially when it comes to production, because chances are they've got more production than Kevin Hayes if they're in that sort of a conversation. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. A ton of reaction on the Dunbar Lumber text line to this conversation. Always appreciate it. We'll get to some of those texts. And David Pinota is going to join us next here on Canuck Central. Canuck Central is presented by your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. 
Uh, the Canucks and Dallas Stars coming up tonight. Official pregame show starting up at 6.30. We'll have lots of content ahead of that. David Pinota is going to join us of the fourth period in just a moment. But um, a lot of um, a lot of discussions around Bo Horvat right now, who is now uh, out for the season, as we know, and maybe a little bit more, as you alluded to earlier, Sats, and even if the Canucks do make the postseason, Bo may not be ready to go for round one. But a 31-goal year, and while the discussion has been around J.T. Miller next contract and what does that look like, you know, Bo Horvat's in the exact same situation as an unrestricted free agent at the end of next year. Yeah, and uh, it is going to be fascinating to see where he lands number-wise on his contracts. And there's been a lot of reaction. People mention, you know, this comp isn't, isn't great, that comp isn't great, and there isn't a perfect comparison. But the point is... UFA centermen who hit the free agent market who are 28 years old or under the age of 30, they get paid. Yep. And uh, that number usually goes well above six and goes long term. Uh, and I believe there would be at least one team out there that if Bo hit free agency would give him $7 million per year or more. And JT Miller as well. Now, now JT is more... Interesting, because he's going to be 30 when he's a free agent. And just because of the age range, there may be some reluctance if he has a tough year next year. But no matter what happens next season, because Bo's going to be 28, if he hits the market, there's definitely going to be at least one team out there that would be willing to give him a boatload of money for him to play for them. Uh, let's bring in our next guest. He is of the fourth period. It is uh, David Pignotta. Uh, Bona Pasqua. How's it going? It's, uh, I'm looking at snow, guys. It's <laughs> <laughs> Happy Easter! Here's a snowstorm. Uh, that's yeah. that's fun in Toronto. Yeah. Nope. Nope. Zero percent. <laughs> um, other than all that, uh, good. The meat sweats, the lamb sweats are uh, are, are are dissipating, which is nice. But yeah. um, it uh, yeah, very very fun and chilling uh, weekend. And yes, and now it's uh, lovely snowfall that is not going away. So that's great. <laughs> Uh, for for those that, di- that didn't catch that, Buona Pasqua is a happy Easter uh, in Italian, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we were we were talking about uh, Bo Horvat, and mm-hmm. you know his, his season's done here. Uh, put on a show here over the last couple of weeks when the Canucks really needed him most. Gets up to thirty one goals, but he's in the same situation as J T. Miller as uh, as an unrestricted free agent after the end of next season. Now, what, is, what does a new contract look like for Bo Horvat? We've thought Ryan Nugent Hopkins as a comp could work, but then at the same time, I, I can't help but think his camp would like to use Kevin Hayes as more of a comp. Right, um, and they probably will, uh, <laughs> based, based on that number. I wouldn't blame him. I would, too. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, this is obviously something that, that they'll have those conversations with um, the, his representatives – this off season, you can't sign. He won't be able to like JT Miller. Anyone on an, uh, who has one year left on their contract after this season can't officially sign an extension until the first day of free agency, which this year is, is July 13th. Um, but I'm sure at, at some point this off season, whenever that is, that they're going to have some conversations to at least get an understanding of where the mindset is right now. And is it seven and a quarter million? Is it, is it seven or North? Um, Is it going to depend on term? Will that lower the price tag? I think those conversations will certainly happen. Um, But, I mean, you know, to get a a fair price tag based on what he's done, how he's performed, 
yeah, you're probably looking at seven plus in order to get him locked in long term. Yeah, and you know, and I, I mean, I don't like that number personally. I'm not sure how the Canucks themselves would feel about that number, but mm-hmm. you know, that's ultimately what it comes down to. Because Philip Deneau, without even scoring 20 goals, and he's been a really good defensive center, had a good year, obviously with Montreal going to the Cup and all those sort of things. He got five and a half million per year for six years, 33 million. So, I mean, I think I think we also have to look at like the total money here more than anything else. Is a guy like Bo taking less than say 45 to 50 million in total money? I think that's kind of how, how you have to look at it, and that kind of comes down to how many right. years you want to go. Because you can get to 40, 45 million if you go eight years and it's under six, but you know, h- how much of a willingness would you have to do that as an organization and, and lock a guy up until he's 36 years old? Yeah, I, I don't, I, I think it's going to be higher. Um, you know, whatever the ultimate term is, is going to be. I don't see him being in a situation where he gets less than six uh, you know, per year, even if it's, even if it's a full eight year term. Um, you know, Deno, it's his first 20 plus goal season this year. It's Bo's first 30 plus, mm-hmm. but he's had multiple 20 goal seasons. And that's, you know, Deno is a totally different type of, different type of player, second line center, uh, but different type of player. So there, there, certainly there are going to be comparables. You mentioned Nuge, you mentioned Hayes. Uh, you, you, you basically look at guys that um, have that offensive capability, but also bring the other intangibles out there as well. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how those conversations go. And really, you know, the Canucks have to decide what the long-term look of this club is going to be. Does it include Horvat and Miller? Does it include Brock Fester? Is it two of those three? What's going to happen with Garland and so on? And how's the money going to look uh, going into next season and, and beyond? Um, you know, all of those things have to be figured out and mapped out. And they may have an, indi- an idea internally as to what they'd like to do, whether the market will allow it to happen, obviously we'll have to wait and see on that part. David Pinota, our guest here on, uh, on Canuck Central. So, so Bo Horvat comes out of the lineup. Uh, Brock Besser is into the lineup. We've talked a lot about his contract situation a ton as well. This, this really feels like a big spot for Brock to um, – you know, prove or show his worth to the team after what's been a very up and down season. Yeah, I mean, you know, these these last whatever seven eight games, whatever it is, it, yeah, certainly it's it's going to be. Um, it, it, this is a very important year for him, uh, or important stretch, I should say. Um, it's going to dictate whether or not he's going to get a long term deal at a, at a dollar figure he's comfortable with, or do they go to a one year prove me prove me wrong, prove me right kind of deal, whatever, on, on both sides. I mean, that's going to be something that, that is going to be discussed as, as well. I, I don't think the QO is going to be much of an issue, um, mm-hmm. even with the new guys coming in. I, I think they're, they've, they've had those discussions. They've got a pretty good understanding there. I think there's comfort on both sides that they'll figure something out. Um, it's just a matter of what that's going to be. So, you know, in these next however many games, um, before we wrap up at uh, in, in a couple of weeks, um, yeah. Does he does he step yeah. up? Does he go on a tear? And and certainly that will help his case in terms of what his next contract may look like. Well, and if you're if you're looking at okay, uh, where can we get the best surplus value of any of the big contracts we have to sign to key players? J T. Miller, Bo Horvat, and Brock Besser. 
Well, Brockbuster is the one that gives you the best prospects for that, potentially, because he's mm-hmm. the youngest of the three, coming off the toughest season of the three. I mean, two, three years ago, we were having a discussion here about uh, JT Miller, Brockbuster, and Bo Horvat, who's going to get paid the most. I think we all would have said Brockbuster would have. And now he can be in a situation where he's probably getting the, the, the lowest AAV of the three in any contract he signs. And that could actually work out if he does exceed expectations next year and kind of really find his game. He could be the best value contract. So, so the more I think about it, the more I kind of look at the situation, I wouldn't at all be surprised that they just keep Bester at a relatively team-friendly contract that ends up being a valuable deal for both sides. It, it, I think on that one, I agree with you, but I, I think on that, it's going to come down to what that term is. Yeah. Um, you know, is it going to be, do, do, does he go to the Canucks or, or you know, his agent, Ben Hankinson, go to the Canucks and say, all right, look, it's a rough year for everybody. Didn't go the way we wanted. Yeah, we got close towards the end, but... Um, and, he, and he stepped up just like a number of other players stepped up in the second half. But let's call this what it is. This was an, an, an anomaly of a season. Look at his past. Look at his track record, especially the last two shortened seasons. Um, you know, rookie year, 55 points. Year after, almost the same. And on pace to really surpass that these last two seasons. This year, let's, let's have an understanding as to what it is. So are, are, are they going to look at this and make the arguments based on the previous four seasons and the incline that he was on over the stretch of those four years? Um, or are the Canucks going to argue, well, yeah, that was great, but he didn't keep it going this year, even in the tough times. And that's when, you know, things really matter most. Um, so I think, I think you're right. I think there, there's the possibility, the likelihood that his AAV number will be the lowest of the three. But if that is the case, I, I tend to believe it may be on a one-year deal. Um, and it's a chance, really, that's being taken by both sides. Um, can, can you believe the Canucks are still in this uh, playoff race? They feel like the Undertaker, you know? <laughs> like, it's just like a casket match, and at the last moment, the Canucks just find a way to open the casket and stay alive. By God! It's the Vancouver Canucks! <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, this is... I mean, this, this, this bodes well... For next season, you look at a team like this, you look at, I mean, in the East, I guess the kind of comparable would be, to a certain extent, would be the Islanders based on all the injuries and the COVID stuff that they had to deal with um, and, and the kind of raw deal they got because they were the first team to have to deal with it before the league decided, okay, we got to pause things. Um, you know, you look at, at those kinds of clubs and, and you go, look, this is, you know, Islanders are out. They're, I mean, the East is set. Um, here, it's, it's tough sledding, certainly, for for these next seven games, but you finish strong, you build that momentum, you make some cosmetic changes, whatever potential changes you want to make, and you go into the next season on a high. I think even if you, even if you don't make it this season, you're taking a lot of positives away from what has happened to get that team back on track to right the ship, and you make those additional changes in the summer. I think next year could be an exciting year, um, you know, obviously providing what kind of tweaks and, and tinkering management does. Um, but yeah, they're, they're fighting the fight. They're right back in the swing of things, certainly. And the crazier things have happened. Yeah. And you know, the, the better push they make and you know, the closer they get to the end and we'll see if they ultimately get, get in or not at the end. I think it also just makes it harder and harder to, even if you wanted to, to move away from Bruce Boudreaux, because at some point, even if right. you are assessing all your options, does it just not become undeniable that this is the guy and you can't argue the results? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, 
look, everything that's happened, the success that's been there, the, the positive PR that's come out of, you know, him and the sound bites and everything. I mean, and the fact that he, you know, everybody, he gets along with everybody, everybody in the room likes him and, and been able to connect with the guys. Um, I, I just, I don't see a scenario where in, at least right now, where it makes sense to move on. Um, and it may be a short-term play, guys. This may be a, he'll come around to stick here for another season, two, maybe three. And then they, you know, when the team's in a position where it believes, okay, now we're, you know, next season, the next couple of years, we're playoff contenders. We want to take that next step into being legit cup contenders. And maybe that's Bruce being the guy that takes them to that level. And then things shift a little bit. But, uh, you know, I, I agree with you. I, I think it, based on everything that's happened this year, um, it just makes sense uh, that, that he returns next season and maybe a year or two beyond that. I, I guess what is fascinating about the Canucks offseason is just uh, what, what route does Patrick Alvin take? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, we, we don't have a track record on this guy, right? I mean, it's, uh, it'll be his first offseason. He's got a lot of big decisions to make. Uh, they've talked about wanting to, to um, you know, create some cap flexibility. And I think yep. our initial reaction to that is, does that mean this team is, is going to maybe – in theory, take a step or a half step back next year to try and uh, reset for two years down the line or something to that effect? I don't get that sense. I think a lot of the, the, the changes that are going to be made, you know, we may see a scenario where, you know, player X gets dealt for primarily futures and then they utilize that cap space to get player Y, whether it's another trade or, or via free agency. I, I think... You know, they, they, they certainly, whatever their vision is, um, they certainly have something mapped out here. And it's just a matter of, you know, what, how, how can they go about it? You know, are they going to trade Connor Garland in the offseason? I, I think so, but they've got to figure out how to pull that off. And is it going to be for primarily futures and they utilize that cap space to fill that hole in the top six or, or what have you? Are they going to be able to find a... Um, a scenario that makes sense for them to move Tyler Myers and not retain money uh, or take back a contract and, and still save out some space and so on and so on. So there, there are going to certainly be some, some modifications to this roster. I don't think anybody's going to be shocked by that, uh, but I'm curious to see how they go about it. And I don't think it's going to yeah. be a scenario where it is that step back. I think they're, they're looking forward. I think they just have to be creative in how they, uh, maneuver their their transactions. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I don't think they they want to take this massive leap backwards. Maybe a slight step back or kind of status quo a little bit overall, and then try to take a leap in a year or two. But you know, it, it's interesting because as much as there has been criticism from from a lot of fans and some media that they should have made done more at the deadline. All along, though, we talked about this is a team that still has all its options open come the off season because they don't have yep. UFAs. The only one you have to make a decision on is a guy you moved in Tyler Lamont and they moved Hamannik, but all the rest of the stuff is kind of coming. And right now it's house money. You make the playoffs great. If not, then you still go and conduct your business in the offseason no matter what happens. That's kind of different from the team they're facing on Monday night, and that is the Dallas Stars because they have a guy who's probably not re-signing in John Klingberg. They're a team that may or may not make the playoffs, although it looks like they're probably going to get in. What are they staring at this offseason? Because the Canucks are kind of in a house money situation because they can still do all their moves. I mean, Dallas is looking at a situation where they might be a bubble team and they might be losing a key player for nothing. 
Yeah, well, I think they will. I, I don't see a scenario where John Klingberg is back in Dallas next season. So they're going to have to get creative in trying to find somebody that can slot into that right, uh, right side on, on that blue line, whether it's via trade, um, whether it's via – I mean, the, the, he's going to be, I, I, if memory serves, um, looking at the pending free agent list. I think Klingberg is the top right shot D that's going to be in the market. Um, so either you you downgrade from that perspective, so so to speak, or you, you explore the trade market. They got to figure out Braden Holpe. They got to figure out you know a replacement for Alex Radulov because I don't think he'll be back next season either um, in in Dallas. And I mean, yeah, this, this this season for Dallas primarily has been that one line. Their top line, um, you know, Pavelski, Hintz, Robertson, kind of leading the charge. Sagan really started to get going over the last twenty twenty two games or so where he's pretty much a point a game. But other than that, in their top six, it's been rough. Jamie Benn is not the Jamie Benn of old. Um, like I said, Radulov, I'm not expecting him back in Dallas next season. There's going to be some additional changes to this team. Are there younger kids, some of their kids, going to be able to step up? Can they compete? I know ownership wants to keep competing. Uh, they want to try to get in there as much as they can and, and be a legit playoff contender. Um, Ottinger is, is showing them that they, he's the guy in that that can help them get to that point their defense even losing Klingberg is still solid it's just the depth up front they absolutely have to address and that's going to be something they're going to do in the summer um I just I'm, I'm not exactly sure what route they go specifically at this point in terms of doing it up front they will have cap flexibility I think they have about 20 million next season so they're going to have some options even though they got some guys some RFAs to sign but um they have some flexibility so that that's going to be an interesting scenario that plays out in Dallas the uh, the Vegas Golden Knights, um, the team that everybody is like seemingly cheering against right now, um, probably out of envy, uh, given how they've come into the league and just been so good right from the get go. But it does feel like their season has been a, a bit of a disaster. I wonder, you know, how they view this season. Do they view it uh, with some? Uh, rationale in that they've been through a, a historic injury crisis or uh, do they, does their uh, aggressive ownership want to uh, maybe get a little crazy uh, given the way this, this season has played out if they don't make the postseason? Crazier. Um, <laughs> yeah. Bill yeah. Foley's not afraid to, to push those buttons. Um, yeah. Look, they, I, they do have the benefit of the doubt in the, the, proper excuse and legitimate excuse of all the injuries that they had to deal with. Um, you know, Mark Stone's injury was, it's been something that's been bagging him, uh, bothering him yeah. and, and, and bothering his back for well over a season. I mean, this goes back to last season. This goes, this goes back probably a little bit further. Um, and they tried to hold out as long as they could without having to do any kind of surgery, which has been the case right now. Um, but I mean, that's, it's, it's not an excuse that you're fishing for. It's just that's the reality of the situation. Now, that being said, there's still going to have to be some changes that are going to occur in this team going into next season and throughout this offseason. Um, and they have some serious questions that they need to ask themselves with respect to some of their current players and some of the guys that have been there, William Carlson being one, five more years left on his deal after this, after this season. Solid cap hit at 5.9 but nowhere near the 40-goal player that he was a few years ago. So, you know, is that a perfect type of contract to move out in order to shake up their roster a little bit going into next season, regardless of how, this, how their season plays out? I believe 
they are close to an extension with, uh, with Riley Smith. So, I mean, if that's the case and he's making five mil, I got to imagine it's going to be around that. If, if they do finalize that um, after the season, they're still going to have to move out some money. And so I'm, I'm curious as to the future of, of William Carlson. He's got some no trade protection in Vegas. Um, obviously, Dadnov, what the heck's going to happen there? Uh, are they going to revisit that and look at his list this time and decide where they could potentially move him? Um, I think there's going to be some some changes in, in Vegas, regardless of how things play out. I don't think it's going to be as dramatic as, all right, GM's out, coaches out, this, that, and the other, um, because you, you have the benefit of the doubt of what exactly happened to this roster this season. Plus, I mean, you know, they, Leonard was injured as well, and so the storyline's there, and he's dealing with personal issue and all kinds of stuff. So you have the right excuses. It's just obviously, you know, the professional sports team, you don't, you don't really want these excuses, but it comes with the territory. No kidding. Uh, Dave, appreciate the time as always. Uh, we'll talk soon. You got it. Thanks, boys. There is uh, David Pagnotta at the fourth period. Joining us as he regularly does here on Canucks Central. It's, um, it is interesting. You know, there are so many teams so up against the salary cap. The Canucks are obviously one of them. Although they've helped themselves slightly, they have helped themselves with the uh, the Travis Hamonic trade and some of some of the other moves that they've made. But you know, this off season could be a really fascinating one. I know we always say that, but there seems to be a lot of teams that are going to be forced into movement. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I'm excited for this off season because as much as we talk about trades and things happening, they haven't really happened. Yeah, but I do believe they are going to happen this off season. Uh, maybe uh, just a natural course of action uh, for the Vancouver Canucks with their new management group. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah, the legend Don Taylor joins us next on Canucks Central.